Well, hello and welcome back. I'm Angela Highland, and this is Build, Lead, Succeed, the official podcast of the National Association of Women in Construction. Recently, I have been in on a number of conversations regarding equity and how women across the board can find it and embrace it to power up their careers. As we know, equity is a big umbrella of topics, but for this conversation and in this context, I refer to equity as equal pay and equal opportunity for women, all women. It's one thing to be given access by others, but it's a whole different thing to open your own doors. In some cases, it may be a matter of confidence or even skill level, but many women I know who have confidence and advanced skills are still struggling with getting that raise, getting a promotion, or getting hired into a job at a salary that they have more than earned. This impacts women at every level and stage of their careers, including those in leadership and executive roles. I've worked with women in a diverse range of industry sectors, and I find that a common theme emerges. This theme is not unique to seniority nor levels of service. We could label it as a lack of confidence or a reticence to be bold or even a fear of taking risks. Well, to dig into this discussion, I have invited Coralie Beatty with Thrive HQ to join me today. Coralie has been a guest with us before, and I always enjoy talking with her because she and I have followed similar paths. We are experienced women in construction as business owners who then moved on to the coaching realm, working with career-driven women and female leaders to support their growth. Welcome back, Coralie. Thanks, Angela. I'm glad to be back. So this is a discussion I know you are familiar with in the work that you do. Um, and I'm sure that you have found over time that there's a common theme that emerges regarding what is holding women back. This, of course, is a multi-layered challenge, is it not? Oh, it is. I mean, like you said in your introduction, the um, the confidence is, is something that is certainly an issue, but I think that's only one piece of the puzzle and not always part of it. I mean, it's easy to say, like you said, it's easy to default to that, that it's a confidence issue. But I think there are so many other potential issues that go with that, that if we're aware of those when we're entering into those situations, then we can at least prepare ourselves and give ourselves a better chance of being successful in whatever it is that we're trying to um, reach or succeed with. Yeah, agreed. It's a it's like an onion, right? It's got lots and lots of layers. There's so many things and we could probably sit here all day and talk about what's at the root of it. Um, and since we only have, you know, a half hour, 40 minutes or so, I wanted to just get your insights on this topic of women advocating for themselves and, and see if we can't shed some light on ways that they can not only be heard, but also to promote themselves to get what they want in their career. So I wanna get your take on the prevailing factors that are creating these obstacles for women. What do you think is going on internally Internally, I think we consider our value to the position. We think that we deserve this position that we've, you know, this is the, um, with the confidence, knowing that, you know, this is the next step at our next logical step in our career, the next logical uh, place within our organization, whatever it happens to be. And 
we have this rationalization in our head that this is what I deserve and this is where I should be going and this is how much money I should be getting for it. However, what the things that we're not considering are the position of our employer um, and what kind of employer they are, because that in itself is something that's outside of our control. However, if we recognize it and see, you know, how can we best address their um, their position or what it is that they're needing to hear from me in order to uh, take this position or in order to entertain the idea that I could be a, a suitable person for the position. I think that we need to recognize within ourselves that it's not just about us and what we deserve. Um, it's more so about what the employer is looking for, what the employer is open to and what they need to hear in this conversation that you have with them. You know, that's really true. I think a lot of times we get so uh, in, bound up in our own head, right? Um, and it's, it's an interesting, um, it's an interesting thing that happens. You get these confident women who they know that they deserve it. And sometimes they just don't know how to voice it. But to your point, a lot of times they don't think about what the employer needs to hear. Mm -hmm. So what about cultural barriers? Uh, you know, I call it the societal programming. Do you think that that stops a lot of women? Um, you know, from an early age, we're taught some things that we believe. It's a story we believe moving forward. And it does take a lot to overcome that. Do you think that that comes into play as we oh. get older? Oh, absolutely. Not even as I think at any point, it, it is absolutely uh, an issue that we have to deal with on an ongoing basis, especially within the construction industry. However, I also think that that's something to easy, that you can easily fall back on to say, oh, you know, I'm a woman in the construction industry. My employer doesn't take me seriously. And those are all very valid reasons. Absolutely. I absolutely um, believe that those exist. However, I think that in the conversation, I think it's really important to get to get around those things because that's what we need to do you know we need mm. to be able to come up with the solutions so those aren't the excuses that we fall back on so what can we do in the situation where um you know the the culture especially within the construction industry doesn't see us um you know they don't picture us as a woman in that type of role whatever it is that we happen to be going for or they don't see us at that pay scale that we think that we deserve that we know that we deserve and they're not willing to consider us for so i think that um absolutely the cultural perception of women in this in these types of um negotiating situations it is an issue that, you know, as women, we need to be able to handle and be able to understand. So I would agree. I think um, despite the hurdles, whether they are self-imposed or whether they're things that we uh, come across at work or maybe we're not sure how to get our point across at work, I think it's imperative that we press forward and, and we have to challenge ourselves, right? We got to push ourselves uh, outside of that box. Um, I think women oftentimes they are notoriously poor at self-advocacy. Mm. Um, I think it's a very ironic that they excel at advocating on behalf of everyone else, <laughs> right? They, they, they look after their children, uh, people that they work with, their colleagues, direct reports. Um, they'll go to bat 
to defend the value uh, and even the contribution of others. But, you know, they just something times it stops them do it from them stops them from doing it for themselves. And sometimes I wonder if it's that social essence that we are always trying to overcome, uh, you know, that maybe we've been told uh, in our younger selves. Well, I think it comes back to the idea that we don't treat ourselves like we treat our best friend or a friend or anything like that. We're always the hardest on ourselves. So I think it comes back to that where, you know, women uh, will advocate for other people and tell them how amazing they are and remind them of what it is that they've achieved and how far they've come and what they're capable of. We do that all the time. But to mm. turn that around and actually do that for ourselves is really um, unnatural for us. It's something that's very difficult and challenging. And I think that that's one of the main things that we need to learn how to do as women is to treat ourselves like not just a friend, but our best friend. How would we how would we encourage our best friend? How would we acknowledge them? How would we support them? And then do that for yourself. And that, that takes some courage and it takes a lot of work because we, we feel like we're tooting our own horn. We feel like, mm. you know, we don't really deserve it. It feels kind of awkward and weird and a lot of different things. But, you know, when you're uncomfortable like that, chances are you're doing the right thing for yourself. You just have to get used yeah. to it. Agreed. I went to uh, a workshop years and years ago. Actually, when I first joined NAWIC, uh, one of the leaders on the national board spoke about tooting your own horn. And she didn't just talk to us about it. She made us get up and do it. And mm. it was very uncomfortable and difficult for many of us in the room, including myself. You know, she made us write down three things that we had done uh, in the past year that were significant. Right. An mm -hmm. award that we had won, a project that we had completed, uh, some achievement. And we had to get up in front of the room and tell everybody. And <laughs> it was surprising to me how sh how hard that was for many women. They got very shy mm. um, and and one woman even cried. And when the instructor said, what's causing this emotion? She says, I feel guilty. I feel like I'm bragging and and it's making me feel bad. It was it was just the most interesting thing. I was like, there is something very interesting about this. So how how do you think women can overcome that? How can they become noisier on behalf of themselves and and let people know the things that they've done without coming off as bragging? Well, I really believe that you have to do it intentionally. It's not something that you can just, I'll just do this thing and then I'll be able to do it because it, it goes down to the core of our beliefs. Like when you were a little kid and you were told that you need to be kind to people, you need to be nice to people, you need to be out there and friendly and not hide and not be shy and all of these things that you uh, were put in the position to do things that you were uncomfortable with and those started to form beliefs that you know you have to be this thing you, you can't talk about yourself you can't highlight your successes that's not for you to do it's not polite it's not ladylike right. so all of these things we learned at a very young age is a deep-seated belief that we can't do that we're not allowed to do that and it makes us bad to do that and so it really takes you know deep-seated work and intentionality to do it, knowing it's okay, because the reality is in order to rewrite a belief, you really need to challenge it and you need to be intentional about it because otherwise, because your subconscious mind has this way of doing things that it's just gonna do based on you know protecting you. 
and uh, making you safe. And when you do things against your subconscious mind, it's very uncomfortable and it does not feel natural and it takes work to continue to do it, to change what's within you. That was, like I said, seated at a very young age of what's right and what's wrong. So it's, it's not just as easy as going, okay, I'm just going to do this thing. I really don't feel comfortable and I'm just going to do it. Um, that's part of it, but you need to recognize that this is a belief that's within you. That's not just the surface thing. It, it's pretty deep and needs to be um, dug at a bit, rewrite it really is what you have to do. Yeah, for sure. Rewriting that story, right? That you, mm. those, those stories that you have for yourself, rewriting those self-limiting beliefs, if you will, mm. you know, you hear yes. that term all of the time. Mm -hmm. So how do we challenge that inner dialogue? Well, I think it, the biggest thing, and I always talk about awareness, because when you can hear the voices in your head, you can challenge it just by, you know, the simple things of saying, okay, is that actually true? Am I actually being um, unpolite, impolite, whatever the word would be? be? Am I not being polite when I talk about myself? Am I being rude? Am I bragging? Is that really what I'm doing here? Or am I educating somebody? Am I bringing some information to light that other people need to be aware of that serves me, but also serves them? Because it, when you can bring these things to light, you actually provide information to whether it be, you know, a manager, an employer, whoever that person happens to be that you're talking to, you bring information to their attention that makes their decision easier. They're like, oh, I didn't realize that. And you actually help them in making the choice in it, you know, saying, okay, I see how she can fit into this position. I, I see how she can really excel. I see how she's done that in the past. I see how she's ready for the responsibility. All of those things, you need to be able to demonstrate that. Don't assume anything, but certainly don't assume that your boss or whoever's in the position to be offering you the opportunity has all the information that they need to make a, you know, a well-informed decision. That's your responsibility. Well, that is absolutely true. I think if you don't tell them, you know, how, how do they know? Mm -hmm. And I believe that a lot of times um, they, they want to hear that from you. I think if yes. you go in very soft, especially if you're trying to get a promotion or even a leadership role, and if you go in being very meek um, and, and uh, unsure of yourself, you're basically telling that person that you're not ready for that position. Right? Exactly. And I think a lot of women are worried about going and being too heavy handed. Well, it, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. Right. You mm -hmm. can go in with a, a, a bit of power. Doesn't mean you have to beat anybody over the head with it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you can go in and and you can proudly say, I did achieve this and mm -hmm. um, I did overcome that and I'm ready for my next challenge and I will do whatever it takes. Um, and I think that that's received well. I think you can really surprise an employer by having that kind of voice. And they, then they, they go, okay, well, let's see what she can do, right? Absolutely. I think what's also really important, though, is that when you go in, don't make it all about you. Because, and I think we sort of touched on this in the beginning, where if you go into the these conversations, what you need to do your research ahead of time. You need to know what it is that, you know, the what's the position doing within the company? What what purpose is it serving and what is the value of that position what does your employer need from you like do some research so that when you go into this conversation it's not all about you certainly make sure you highlight 
you know, how it is that you'll address the needs of the position, but know what the needs of the position are, know what the needs of the employer are, so that when you go in there, you can just, you can feed them the information that they need to, like I said earlier, to make that informed decision. It's okay, yes, I need these things addressed and they clearly laid out how they're going to do that. It makes their life much easier in making that decision to choose you. Mm, absolutely. Preparation is is very key. Mm. I think a lot of times people walk in, they don't understand the requirements of the job, right? They, mm -hmm. um, some people, and it surprises me, even now, um, people go into interviews, companies, they've never looked at their website. Mm. They, they might not even know everything that that company does. And that's really surprising. If you don't know what a company does, how do you know what's going to be expected of you? You're basically uh, falling back on your resume, which is, you know, nowadays just does not get you very far. Mm. <laughs> not when you get to that, not, not to get a return interview, basically, you know. Agreed. I think that, um, you know, when a company is run properly and a company that's reputable that you want to work for, they, you know, usually hire in line with their company values. And when you take the time to do the research to find out what those values are and how they are demonstrated within the company or how they're practiced within the company, and you can go in and address and address those things and, you know, look like or be in alignment with how they operate. If you're not in alignment with how they operate, then it's probably not a position for you anyway. But if you are, you go in there and demonstrate how you are in alignment with what their core values are. That goes a long way because that is, you know, what they're that's what they're focusing on. That's what they're looking for. And when you're aware of that and aware of what the company does and why they do it, how they do it, all those all those things that, you know, take research before going in there, uh, I think puts you in a much better position to uh, be successful. Mm, yes. And what about negotiating? Do you think everything is negotiable? Hmm. No, <laughs> I don't. Um, being a previous employer, I think that there's some things that a company is in a position to do and some things that they're not in a position to do yet. So I think that, you know, you may have great plans for what you want to achieve. However, if you're like this, is, it's kind of goes along with doing the research is where where is your company at? You know, what are they in a position to be able to do and not be able to do? And I guess if you do your research properly and you have an idea of the context of your position within the company and how um, and how that is that position is valued or how it is perceived or whatever it happens to be, if you have a good sense of that, then maybe anything is negotiable. However, it really does come down to what the employer is capable of like if they just don't have that money in their budget for this position right now you can always voice your position what you'd like to get and where you're going and why you think you deserve it and do it in a really great way and then the employer can take that information and say i hear you and i agree with you we are not at that place right now but it's something that i can um Think about for the future. Let's meet again in three months. Let's meet again in six months. I think that that's sometimes what the way it has to go. So even though you can put your best foot forward and, and negotiate really well, it really depends on where the company's at and um, what they're in a position to do. I have always been surprised when I talk to people. Uh, I used to do a lot of work with women that were going through the interview process. And um, even if it was for a new job, whether it was for a raise and it would do a bit of, you know, coaching work with them. Um, and I feel like women should not always accept what is proposed. Mm -hmm. You know, of course, from a recruiter standpoint, they're there to achieve, you know, 
uh, a goal and they know what the minimums and the maximums are of what of what they can attain. Um, but a lot of times women are very um, likely to accept what is proposed to them. Um, and I believe that there's always room for more. Um, I do believe that a lot is negotiable. Um, mm. But I think it's also, one, like you said, it's a good culture fit and it's good for the either the recruiter or the person performing the interview to also communicate well, like you said, to say, you know what, I think you're great for this, but I think you also need A, B, and C, but we can help get you there. Like, I think mm. that there's a good way of opening up that conversation because there's always room for more and we have to be better at the ask, mm. even when it's uncomfortable, especially when it's uncomfortable. Because I think when mm -hmm. you really get into uncomfortable, there's there's money there, right? There's magic. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> so, and, you know, I guess I should clarify when I say what negotiable. Yes. Um, maybe not always getting what you want. And I guess that is actually two separate things, because I agree that the majority of employers will go in and lowball, maybe not lowball, but go lower than what they are really necessarily willing to pay for a position um, just in an effort to, you know, um, look like they're you know offering something so say for example a position that they're willing to pay 80,000 for maybe they're going to go in and say you know we're willing to pay you 75 and you know the um, person might be like oh okay I kind of wanted more than that but I guess it's better than what you know she's at and not willing to step forward and ask for more knowing that there's say another five thousand dollars on the table that they could claim so I definitely think that um, employers don't necessarily go into these situations offering their top dollar or being willing to give that. I mean, when I was an employer, I always offered top dollar because I really valued my employees and I wanted them to know that. So I, I you couldn't do a lot of negotiating with me because I, I was giving you top dollars and often it was more than they expected. There was one time when it wasn't and I was like, oh crap, what do I do now? Like they wanted more than I was willing or in a position to do. And so that's exactly what we did is we let them know that we can't do that right now. However, I hear you and I value you and let me see what we can do for you in the next three, six months, you know, like how we can do this better. And what we ended up doing sort of in the short term was giving this person an extra week of vacation because that's always a, um, a negotiating tool as far as something that they can get where they gain the value of it, but it isn't that impact in your pocket um, in the short term. So that was um, one way around it. So yes, I definitely think most employers don't go in there offering top value. And there's usually, I would say, yes, a space to negotiate at least a little bit higher. Yeah, I think you go in with, um, you know, your your big list of wants <laughs> and then have a secondary list of, you know, maybe um, what you'd like to have. But then there's always what you what you have to have, what you need, mm -hmm. and you just can't go below that because if somebody mm -hmm. is going to drive you down below that, then it's just not the place for you. You know, and you um, know, and I think that that's a really interesting point because when you go in there with your with your minimums, these are my likes. These is this is what I would like to have, and this is what I'm willing to accept. And it's when you are true to yourself and really have the confidence in who you are and what you stand for and what what your value is you can go in there and say you know what i'm worth eighty two thousand, and i'm sorry if your top is eighty thousand, but it shouldn't be like i need that extra two thousand 
for who I am and what I do and all of those things. And it helps you if you have the confidence to make those decisions like, okay, this is not the thing for me. And when push comes to shove, what's your employer going to do? And I don't, I'm not talking about threatening. It, it's a real, it's a, a real um, position for you to stand on. This is, this is how much I'm willing and I'm not, I'm not wanting to go for less than this. Then stick to that. I absolutely agree. Stick to that and believe in yourself that that's what you're worth. I don't think that once you set your bottom line, you should make any further concessions. I think that that's the point at which you draw mm -hmm. the line and say, um, no, and I need something different. And you look for something different. I think that that's completely yeah. uh, respecting yourself, respecting your value, and also respecting the differences. If they're not in a position to do that, then you go elsewhere and carry on. No hard feelings, nothing personal. Yeah. That's the way it is. I agree. And I think in this market, especially the, the, the power really lies with the interviewee because, mm. um, you know, there's more room to grow now. There's a little bit more negotiating space, if you will. You know, uh, if you need to ask for $5,000 more, chances are you're going to get it because they need people. Mm -hmm. um, and I know many women that have said, well, I took what I could because I needed the job. Mm. And it's like, yep, keep looking, though, because you will find someone uh, that appreciates the skill that you bring to the table. I think I've been there. I, I'm sure you've probably been there. And mm -hmm. I think preparation is key. Um, I walked through a workshop myself once with a group that helped them determine what their value really was on paper. Right. Mm -hmm. Walk through mm -hmm. an exercise. And that included not only their career path and their experience, but their achievements. Um, you know, of course, education might come into play, um, but also their leadership ability um, and their growth potential. But then mm -hmm. also researching what that position that they're going for makes in the market. Mm -hmm. Right. Those are all key things that women can do and go in and advocate for themselves. That's just going in and being prepped. Mm -hmm. um, Absolutely. Because that also says something to the person that you're talking to. Wow. They really did their homework. I need this person on my team. Mm -hmm. Right. You, they, you give those little nuanced, um, you know, benefits, you know, those pros, the little in your little column that they check by your name. Oh, yeah, she's great at this. She's great at that. So I mm -hmm. think those are very important. I, I agree. Absolutely. Being prepared what about, doing that research. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What about risk? There's a lot of fear and anxiety in taking that risk. Mm hmm. That's a real thing. Uh, it's a very real thing. I've always walked through my career by leveraging my ability to take risks. It's something that mm. I've always been comfortable doing. But, uh, you know, what works for me doesn't work for everybody. And um, there is a lot of women that get a lot of anxiety. Matter of fact, it stops them from even trying. Um, what do you think are some tools that they can um, add to their toolbox to help them overcome that anxiety to even walk through the door. There's two things I think playing here, you know, when you experience anxiety, it's anticipating a negative outcome. You're feeling that because it's like, what if it doesn't work? What if they don't hear me? What if they don't believe me? What if they don't respect me? What if they don't say I'm, you know, capable of this, whatever that happens to be. So there's the, you know, that anxiety comes from anticipating a negative outcome. 
And again, this comes down to awareness and hearing the voices and what it is that you're feeling and recognizing that changing, changing the language, change what you're saying to yourself. What if this does work out well? What if I can get across my message? What if I do exactly what I want to do and they hear me and they give me the position, whatever it happens to be that I'm looking for. So I think part of it is um, changing the language so that you're focusing on the positive, focusing on the potential positive outcomes. And I know that a lot of people think, oh, that's easy for you to say, because I know anxiety is a real it's a real feeling, but the reality is when you feel the, the fear or anxiety within your body, it really is related to the language that you're using in your head. Because as soon, like the, the symptoms of fear and anxiety are things like a racing, a racing heart, you start to sweat, your stomach kind of turns in knots. Like there's these, these definite physical um, reactions to fear and anxiety. However, if you think like this is gonna work out great, this is going to go exactly how I want it to. He is going to respect me. And, and I say he, but I guess it could be a she as well. But, mm-hmm. you know, my boss is going to hear me and respect me and appreciate what I have to bring to the table. And, you know, think about all the good things that could come out of it. And what you'll recognize is that when those thoughts change, it's no longer fear and anxiety that you're going to feel in your body. You're actually going to feel excitement because when you get excited, your heart rate races, you get kind of sweaty, your stomach gets in knots. It's all the same physical reactions. It's just what you're thinking. And Mm. this is, it's difficult. I get it. However, practice it. Something that you do, like whenever you're feeling, feeling that anxiety on little things, when it's not so much of a impact, you know, just hear what you're telling yourself and then change that to say, okay, what if this turns out well? What if this goes exactly how I want? What if my outcome is perfect? What if my outcome is better than I could have ever imagined? Like those kinds of things. And just watch how your body has the same reaction, but you're feeling excitement versus fear. And then the other part of it, I say, you know, yeah, fear is a real thing and we do feel it. However, and it takes courage, but I say, feel the fear and then do it anyway, because that is what's one going to grow your confidence. If you can just take the action that's really uncomfortable, take that action, acknowledge the fear and just do it anyway, because you'll always get a no. The outcome will always be negative if you don't give it a try. Mm. Yeah. I think I hear a lot. um, But what if I fail? Mm. What if I fail? Uh, I was talking to a young woman, 24 years old. Um, She's got a marketing, uh, senior marketing position for a large GC locally. And this girl has got all the right stuff. She's just as sweet as she can be, but a little unsure of herself. Mm. And I was talking to her. We happened to be at a NAWIC meeting. She's, She's also a NAWIC. And she said, I think I've got it all together. And then I come to these meetings and I feel like I'm just like, I can't even compete. And Mm -hmm. I said, well, first of all, do not compare yourself. Mm -hmm. I said, you are at 24 years old. What you have accomplished is so far and away than what I was doing at 24. Many (laughs) of the people in here I know were doing at 24 years old. I said, but she said, but what if I fail? And then I feel like I'm never going to measure up. 
And I said, again, stop comparing yourself because you, you bring your own gifts to the table. You have your own skills that other people don't have. I said, and so what? What's the worst could happen? So you don't get that done. Maybe that, you know, you don't finish a project on time or, you know, um, some marketing document that you made isn't as good. But you know what? You'll know better the next time. Failure is a great catalyst for improvement. I said, mm. that's how you do improve. Now, many people, I think, failure, um, you'll always recover from it. And almost every time you will get better. And she said, okay, well, I think that makes me feel better, but I still don't want to fail. <laughs> you so, know, well, nobody and nobody likes it. <laughs> yeah, but you can also, it, failure seems so final. It feels so final. And I think that the only time you actually ever truly fail is when you give up, when you throw in the towel and you just, you give up. Because the reality is in what you might perceive as a failure, maybe you miss a deadline, maybe it's not 100% what you would have wanted something to be. Maybe you aren't, you don't produce the thing that you really wanted to produce and you perceive that as a failure. But you could also perceive it as learning because the next time you take that information with you and you're, you're not gonna forget it. And so the next time you are in that situation, you're going to be able to apply the lessons learned and it makes you that much stronger. So I think that, yeah, failure is a really hard word and it's one that we probably use a little too often because as long as you keep going, you actually never fail. You learn. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. It's just one of those words you got to overcome and stop thinking about failing because you're right. You said it just now, as long as you keep going, you can't fail because you you're always adding to your experiences along the way. Mm -hmm. So, and what I'd also say to that is also say is I would ask her, well, what if you succeed? Yes. You yes. know, like just, just think about it a little bit differently. Cause that's, again, it'll be like, it'll go from that feeling of what if I fail to, right. Oh, what if I succeed? You know, yeah. I just, just give yourself the, give yourself the freedom to think about that possibility for a change, you know, just a little bit. Yeah. And it feels good. It does feel great. And, you know, I did tell her at the end, I said, you see all these women in here, we won't let you fail. I said, well, mm. you will always have people that you can rely on, which kind of segues into my next thing is mentorship, right? Mm. One of the biggest things I think women can do to help them learn to find their voice and go in um, with just that little bit of courage to go in and speak up for themselves and ask for they want or improve their situation is to get a mentor or a coach mm -hmm. or some sort of advocate that can push them. Absolutely. I actually, um, I'm a mentor with uh, KWIC, the Canadian Association for Women in Construction. And um this is funny because the exact scenario with my mentee, she was, she was wanting to get a position um, and she knew that the position was coming up and she wanted to get that position and she was so nervous and she just saw so little value in all of the things that she had to offer this position. So that was, you know, every time we met, we also, we always were talking about the things that she had to offer the position, the things that she had to offer her employer. And, um, in the end, like she ended up getting the position, which was such a, a wonderful, amazing thing for both of us. Um, but I absolutely think that when you can have somebody to bounce some ideas off of and also for somebody to reflect back to you, 
this is what you're saying. Is this actually what you mean? Or how about this? Or maybe looking at yourself in this light or see yourself how I see you, like just giving your, giving some feedback. And because when you're looking, you know, just from the inside, it's sometimes very difficult to find those, um, those words of encouragement that you need for yourself. So uh, I definitely think that uh, mentoring, finding somebody to, um, who has the experience, who has been through it, who recognizes uh, the reality of it and knowing that it's not such a heavy situation, you know, and just bringing some light to uh, whatever the experience is, I think is really, really helpful. It just puts things in perspective properly. Yeah, I agree. I, I love the mirror effect. That is always um, a strong thing to do for mm. people. It just helps them mm -hmm. think of it from a different angle. Um, I think they can really pay attention to those around them at work as well, uh, at work or even, you know, membership associations, um, male or female. Um, they can find someone close to them who will commit to challenging them and, 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 push, you know, help push them and get them out there. Mm -hmm. uh, I do find that women's groups like NAWIC or KWIC are increasingly important to create mm -hmm. support and sharing of best practices, um, women helping other women and supporting them. It's, you just see massive amounts of energy and mm -hmm. um, growth Yes. Whenever we help push each other forward. So, I think yeah, the, you know, and we realize our potential and we become empowered and we gain the confidence and we take the action. It's just it is, you know, something that we just really need to see more of. I think that when we are supporting each other, it is the most powerful place that you can be, um, whether you are the one being supported in any situation or the one giving the support, because it goes both ways. You know, some days you'll be the supporter and some days you'll be the support E. And um, that's that's the beautiful thing in these relationships is that um, in these kinds of scenarios that, you know, you don't have to always be the strong one, which I, I think yeah. is so important. Absolutely. Well, Coralie, I can't thank you enough. This has been really great conversation. I I just, I see, I, I keep hearing this conversation and uh, um, I was at a meeting a couple weeks ago and this came at the tail end of a workshop and nobody wanted to leave the room because mm. everybody started talking about it. And I just think it's a worthy conversation to continue to happen because even though we are always promoting how to advance women, we need to be able to find those skills to help them do that for themselves, right? It's one thing Absolutely. to have the road blocked for you, mm -hmm. but how, how can you help yourself get mm -hmm. that raise or that promotion? So I really appreciate your insights are always spot on. So if someone needs to learn more about you and Thrive HQ, uh, where can they go? Uh, my website is thrivehq.ca. And I, you can find me on social media. I'm Coralie Beattie uh, on all platforms. Uh, I'm one of one, so I'm very easy to find. And you, uh, you have a book coming out, don't you? I do. Yes, actually. Um, I'm hoping it's going to be out in the next, oh, I'm going to say week less than two. Um, and if you go to my website, you can check it out. It's, um, it's called Hiring Secrets for Trades and, Trades and Construction. It's the ultimate guide to finding hiring and retaining top talent. So uh, yes, that. absolutely. I think um, I'm excited about that. 
That's a good one. I'll check it out again. Thank you, thank you so much. Um, so in closing, if we start at the very core of why women do not get to the level they aspire to, it is very much related to some sense of deserving or some self-esteem or some program that we've received over time. There's a fear there. We can change this by providing the right environment and training to equip women to navigate more effectively. So I encourage you to always seek out ways that you can improve and seek out allies that will help you get there. I also believe that we are treated by others on how we present ourselves. And when we position ourselves as smart, capable, and worthy, and then learn how to voice our needs and ask for what we want, doors will open and we will gain opportunity to control our own success. So with that, again, I'd like to thank Coralie Beatty for Thrive HQ for joining me today. Always the perfect conversation. I'd like to also thank our sponsor and partner TouchPlan, a leading construction planning software that makes project outcomes more predictable and profitable. It delivers approachable, progressive job site data and analytic solutions that transform construction into a more collaborative, transparent, and predictable process. TouchPlan is committed to the belief that learning from data is the key to rapid recovery from project variances and improving project certainty. And as always, thank you for joining me today. I'd love to hear from you. If you've got any topics you'd like to hear about, please email me at podcast at Don't miss out on episodes. We can be found on iTunes, Spotify, and SoundCloud. You can subscribe to any one of those and always know that when a new episode is released, you'll get notified. You can also find past episodes on our website, maywick.org forward slash podcasts. That's all for now, but just remember, we are just getting started.